It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flint composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through it. A social distancing tip. While the CDC urges you to avoid close contact, like hugging or shaking hands, there are other non-physical ways to say hello. Wave, wink, use sign language, salute, smile, give the peace sign, throw up an air high five, do jazz hands. Remember, stay a minimum of six feet or two arms length away from others and stay home if you can. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show.
Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, music by the Supremes to open up, which will make sense here in uh, just a moment or two. We've got a great show uh, planned for today, a pretty packed show, actually. We have um, a uh, an encore with um, author Stephen Levingston coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour about his book, Barack and Joe, The Making of an Extraordinary Partnership. And before that, we're going to talk... Uh, with uh, Dr. Robert Schwab, the chief medical officer for a Dallas hospital. No, I guess, um, yeah, that's that's right. And, and his new book, Eddie's Boy, uh, explores this dynamic through the eyes of a physician who suddenly suffers debilitating injuries. Um, interesting, uh, interesting story and interesting time to tell that kind of a story. And then this first hour, we're going to talk with uh, Joel Sartori again. Uh, this is a brand new uh, conversation with a new edition of the Photo Arc. Um, Joel Sartori is a National Geographic photographer and, and has partnered with them to, to create this photo arc. And he's uh, up to 11,000 different species he's photographed for this project so that they won't be forgotten. Many of them are uh, uh, likely to become extinct. But I opened the show with uh, music by the Supremes in honor of Mary Wilson, a founding member of the Supremes who passed away uh, at age 76. Uh, suddenly, um, according to a statement from her uh, longtime friend and publicist, Jay Schwartz. She was at her home in Henderson, Nevada. She is survived by her daughter, son, several grandchildren, a sister and brother, and, of course, all of us. Uh, Schwartz said the uh, services will be private due to COVID-19 restrictions, but a celebration of Wilson's life will take place later this year. I imagine there will be several different uh, events to honor the memory of Wilson, who used her fame to uh, promote a diversity of humanitarian efforts, including ending hunger, raising HIV-AIDS awareness, and encouraging world peace. Uh, Wilson was also instrumental in passing the Music Modernization Act in 2018, uh, which aimed to modernize copyright-related issues for new music and audio recordings in the face of new technology like digital streaming, which did not protect music recorded before February 15, 1972, according to the statement. Anyway, we'll squeeze in, uh, I think. Yeah, we've got time to squeeze in just a, a little bit more music. Uh, another one of the Supremes number one hits. Um, again, Mary Wilson uh, passed away at the age of 76 at her home in Henderson, Nevada. And uh, she was a founding member of the Supremes. So we're going to squeeze in a little bit more from the Supremes and uh, Mary Wilson. Another one of their number one hits. The one we opened with was one. And uh, here's another number one hit from the Supremes, and then we'll uh, talk to Joel Sartori. Now what? 
And welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is a photographer, speaker, author, teacher, and a 25-year contributor to National Geographic magazine and, and many other publications. And I'm not sure if it's by assignment or by obsession, but he is the photographic force behind National Geographic's The Photo Arc, which we've talked about before, but the work continues for my guest, Joel Sartori, who joins me by phone. Hi, Joel. Welcome back to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. Um, Joel, I, I, I mentioned that I'm not sure if this is an assignment or an obsession. Which do you think it is? Oh, it's, I think it's both, in a way. You know, geographics <laughs> behind it may grant fund us, uh, but... But, yeah, it's, it's been an obsession for more than 15 years now. We crossed the 11,000 species mark uh, with a long-toothed long dart moth. Um, we did mostly insects during the pandemic. And this is an animal that turned out had never been photographed alive before since it was described in 1890. It's very uncommon to catch one. Wow. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's truly an obsession. I think, you know, another 10 or 15 years I'll be done. Uh, but since I'm 58, I'll be done in every way, I would imagine. Uh, the, the goal is just to get, you know, portraits, nice portraits using studio lighting and on black and white backgrounds so you can really look animals in the eye undistracted. Uh, every captive species in the world, and then some. So we're, we're really trying to just show the public what biodiversity looks like and get them to care. And, and you're working with um, both captured animals but also ones that are... Um, endangered. Yeah, that's right. We're working with rare or common species. And, uh, you know, it could be anything. It could be insects, fish, birds, reptiles, amphibians, mammals. Uh, we're, we're really trying to just capture what biodiversity looks like in a way that's beautiful and, and gives all species an equal voice. On these black and white backgrounds, there's no size comparison. So the mouse is as big and important as an elephant, really. So, um, yeah, we figure, you know, we want to get to at least 15,000 species and maybe 20, depending on what the world has in captivity. And, uh, you know, we're well on our way at 11,000. And and what's what's fascinating about this is one estimate puts it at a million animal and plant species are threatened with extinction. I would think a lot of people would be surprised to even know that there were a million different species of animals and plants. Right, right. There, there are millions, multi-millions of species that we know of so far. So we're, we're uh, yeah, people think of animals, they think of what they see in zoos, they think of gorillas and tigers and giraffes and that kind of thing. But what we, re- and we've, we certainly photograph and celebrate those, but what we really want to do is, is try to show people the animals that we don't think would ever have their voices heard uh, otherwise, like the Palawan stink badger. <laughs> it's, uh, it's their version of a skunk over over in the South Pacific, or um, or the Florida grasshopper sparrow, which is a small brown bird that that even when he's singing, it's hard to hear him. Or the Delta smelt, a little bitty minnow type creature, lives in the Sacramento River basin. Um, we want to really showcase these animals so that people can learn that there's amazing diversity all around us still, uh, but we've got to pay attention. I mean, there's so many that are on the run today in terms of extinction or threat of extinction. You got to wonder, well, if it happens to them, could it happen to us, or could it make our world a lot more impoverished and a and a tougher place to live? You bet. 
yeah, if you just look at what it, one of the reasons we chose this uh, mystery moth as our uh, 11,000 species is is because it's uh, it's time people start thinking about insects as beneficial and not just as pests to poison. These are animals that bring us fruits and vegetables, for goodness sakes, you know. And they, they literally make life possible for us. Without insects, it'd be over for us. We couldn't, we couldn't last uh, a year or two, even. More with Joel Sartori, National Geographic's photographer, for their photo arc series, Straight Ahead. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Wearing a mask helps prevent the spread of COVID-19. Wear your mask correctly. Wash your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds before putting on your mask. Holding the ear loops or ties Make sure the mask covers your nose and mouth and secure it around your chin. Try to fit it snugly against the sides of your face. Make sure you can breathe easily and keep the mask on the entire time you're in public. To learn more, visit cdc.gov coronavirus. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. 
We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. TomSumnerProgram.com TomSumnerProgram.com This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with Joel Sartori, National Geographic's photographer, for their photo arc series, Straight Ahead. Is Hard to believe, but true. When you compared the... Uh, the the stinky badger to <laughs> the uh, skunk. Um, yeah. Are there are there regionally sets of animals that that are are like animals in other regions? Is there uh, some kind of a uh, bio pecking order for each region? They they've got to have an animal like a skunk. They've you know got to have uh, yeah a cat yeah. of some sort. Right. Yeah, that's a great question. And I've never been asked that, believe it or not, but I've thought about that a lot because of this thing they call convergent evolution, which is where animals that are not really related to each other, never seen each other before on different continents separated by oceans, they, they kind of independently over time develop really similar traits to be able to um, survive in whatever that habitat is, you know, like, uh, like you could compare... I don't know, um, hummingbirds with a hawk moth or, you know, uh, the big hawk moths that they have in Asia that pollinate orchids. Uh, Hummingbirds do the same thing for us. We have some hawk moths here, too. So maybe that's not a perfect comparison. But but oftentimes, yeah, we'll see animals like the Palawan stink badger, and it kind of even smelled like a skunk. But it doesn't look like a skunk. It looks more like a a pink, pinkish badger with stripes on its rear end in a circle instead of a black animal with a white stripe. These animals smell very similar, and they did they they do the you know they they basically defenseless other than that smell, and yet here one's in Asia Southeast Asia and one's in the U.S., but they've developed these very similar traits to survive, and so that's just kind of evolution at work trying new things. But we we see that all around the world, different animals in different places that have never met each other, you know animals we have here versus animals in say Africa are very similar in how they look and how they act and how their defense mechanisms, how they hunt prey, very similar that way. So well, it's was, pretty interesting. I was thinking um, mountain lions in the U.S. and how they might compare to an African lion. Right, that's right. Well, we and, you know, we used to have, in North America, we used to have big lions too, but they were thought to have come over on the land bridge back in the last ice age. So it's, it's um, yeah, it's pretty. It's really pretty interesting in that you've got predator-prey relationships that are very similar here, with mountain lions hunting deer uh, versus you know African lions hunting antelope. It's just kind of a way of the world, isn't it? Some of the animals do have common ancestors, but a lot of them don't, and they they have just figured out a way to live that may look identical to 
animals that uh, are on a continent half a world away. What criteria are you using when you select, as you say, your goal of 15,000 animals to record and make portraits of? Um, How do you go about selecting those to represent the millions some that that are threatened with extinction? Right. Right. Well, our bar is pretty low, actually. (laughs) We'll photograph... um, We'll photograph anything that I can see with the naked eye and we can control or catch and put in our shooting tents. We, um, we photograph rare or common animals across all classes. So I may be, this summer I photographed a lot of native stream fish like minnows that occur in the streams of Nebraska. Uh, I photograph native birds, little passerines, little perching birds or songbirds. And then, um, and then we, you know, last week I was at the Toledo Zoo photographing a blue-lipped sea crate, which is a venomous snake that lives in the Indian Ocean, uh, and, uh, and uh, also photographed a mainland wombat, which is a big mammal, kind of looks like a ha- very hairy pig, but cuter, that's from Australia. So we we'll photograph at zoos, wildlife rehabbers for native animals, private breeders, aquariums, wherever we can go. But, that, but in terms of how do we select them, We'll, uh, I'm going to go on a trip out to the American West uh, this, this next week. And so how we select them is I contact the rehabbers that I know do good work out there, and I say, what species do you have in your care? And there's a place called Greenwood Wild, Wildlife Center in Boulder, Colorado, that has an American tree sparrow. And that's a species I still need. A little, it's a little perching bird, a little brown sparrow that I don't have yet. So we'll get that. And then I might go to some fish hatcheries in Wyoming or Idaho, and um, and also do some native, some more native birds at a grouse breeders uh, farther west. And so we just we just have a network of people that kind of know where things are, and we go out and get them, and we say yes to just about anything that we can get that I can see with the naked eye. It has to be bigger than a grain of rice, really. But that's that's the that's the bar. And are you? Um... I'm not sure how to ask this. You mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that you were doing um, a lot of insects because of COVID-19. How have you been able to keep the work going with the pandemic? You can't exactly work at home like some of us do. Right. No. You know, I went out to get, you know, the pandemic hit us in, you know, February, early March. And I remember in April going out to get my newspaper off the front porch very early in the morning. I'm an early riser, and there were all sorts of insects around our porch light. Maybe it was not even in early April. And um, and I thought, wow, look at all. It's not just moths. Look at all these animals. And so I got to look at them, and I was thinking, you know, I bet I could do insects this summer. Um, so we started doing that just on my back porch and front porch. Then we started using big, bigger, powerful light to attract them. Then I drove out to um, uh, the sand hills of Nebraska and stayed in a, in a friend's basement, safe and distanced. These are all things we could photograph out in garages or out in the open using a portable generator. Uh, went up to our family cabin in Minnesota, did the same thing. Did, did little day trips out from my home in Lincoln, Nebraska, to a park called Wabansi State Park in western Iowa. Uh, Indian Cave State Park in Nebraska is wonderful. These are places that are very wild with with native prairie, and they're not using chemicals. They're not pouring poison all over thing, all over everything, which is a very bad idea. If you have a home with a lawn, don't pour anything on your grass. You know, don't, you don't even need to water it. It'll it'll grow if you have 
rain in the case of most varieties. Um, and then just keep it short. But we're we're really poisoning the landscape when we're po- pouring poisons all over everything. These are one of, that's one of the big lessons I learned with with insects. But we were able to do more than 900 new species of insects this way, just by going out and um, and paying attention and using sweep nets during the day and light traps at night, bringing them into sheets and collecting them and photographing them. So. That's kind of how I spent my summer vacation, you could say, and fall. <laughs> it's just doing as many insects as we could. And that's what got us over the 11,000 species mark with this, uh, this mystery moth, we call it. Well, it's been, it's been almost a year now since the uh, uh, virus made its way into the U.S. And uh, I, I've been, yeah. I, I haven't even thought of summer vacation. I've been referring to the whole year as COVID vacation. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's been uh, it's been something. I mean, I've appreciated the fact that I've been able to to work still, obviously, and uh, geographic grant funds us, and we just need to keep going. And our staff's been able to keep busy. I know it's. I mean, it's just been really hard on everybody, obviously, but but um, we we just wanted to really show um, you know how important insects are. The more I photographed insects, the more I realized I'd been missing something by not photographing anything much more than the butterflies and beetles and walking sticks that most zoos have. That that it's the little things that really keep the earth spinning for us. Plants and insects really make life possible for us. Without them, we'd be done. How many and, uh, um, insects are in really catastrophic decline right now because of chemical use and habitat loss? So that, that's something we can talk about with the public. Absolutely. How many how many editions of the photo arc are there, and and how often, um, how how many animals uh, do you have to get captured on uh, film, or <laughs> digitally, until a new edition comes out? Well, I mean, we in terms of the in terms of the milestones, every thousand animals. That's what that's, oh, okay. that's a big deal. And we shout that out, you know. So this is the eleven thousand, and then we're going to do a new, a new book that'll come out next fall uh, on the photo arc. We do a book every couple three years as we move along. The, the, the our main book was the photo arc, which was kind of our introductory uh, introduction to the project when we were at the five thousand species mark. And that was and we narr- did another book called Vanishing when we were, yeah. That had a forward. Uh, that was that's, these are all geographic publications. And that one, uh, the that first photo arc, or or uh, I, I don't know the initial book, I guess uh, is is that the one that that had the foreword by Harrison Ford? That's right. Yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and uh, we had um, yeah, we had the good fortune of having Harrison do a intro for us. He's a big time conservationist, and he was. He's on, been on the board of Conservation International for many years, and um, yeah, so we so every few thousand species we do a new book because there's plenty of material, and um, yeah, we'll keep we'll keep going. We we'll have another book out next fall, in fact, to celebrate the ten thousand species. Now there is uh, also I'm looking at a uh, photo arc uh, put out by National Geographic Kids with your photographs and yeah. uh, words and poetry by Kwame Alexander. That's right. Yeah. He's an award-winning po- poet. He did the words and I did the pictures and we call that one animal arc 
and um, yeah, that one's out there too. So there's 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 that one's for kids, but the main coffee table book works for kids too because it's largely a picture book. You know, that celebrates every did, animal you can think of. How did you decide? Because there, you know, there there aren't nearly as many animals in the uh, um, this uh, this one this edition for kids. Um, how do you decide? Which ones, how, how do you limit it to just the ones that are included? Sure. Well, we have this, we have a, a, a great designer named Melissa Ferris at National Geographic. She's in charge of all their books and she designs all these and she's, she likes the photo arc and she's also a pretty good judge of uh, material and has a real feel for what a children's book should be. And we also have a project editor named Susan Hitchcock, who's a, uh, uh, kind of our guiding hand and leader. And so between the two of them, they just, I, I just really uh, like watching them work. You know, I kind of provide the raw materials and they polish, polish things up. And um, yeah, we're a good team and we agree on almost everything. And, and uh, yeah, I trust them implicitly to, to try to figure things out. They're just, they're just very, very good at what they do. So I, I try to just leave them alone and let them do it. Well, you're at 11,000 animals photographed so far, Joel, and, and you're shooting for 15,000. Right. What are the chances that you go beyond right. the 15,000? What, what was your original goal? Pretty, the, the chances are pretty good that I, that I will. <laughs> the original goal, I think, maybe would have been, <laughs> the original goal was probably 12,000. We based that number years, many years ago off of a rough count of what the world's accredited zoos and aquariums have in their care. But since then, there have been a lot more um, aquariums built and, and more zoos built as well. So, so we, we really don't know where the final number will be exactly, but it'll be at least 15,000, I would imagine. Uh, and uh, my daughter, actually, who's tired of helping me, on this project. She said, you know, 10,000 is a nice round number, dad. You should just stop there. That's enough. <laughs> but we really, we really want to keep going because most people just have never seen any of these, these little, little species, especially they've just never, they have no idea that minnows vary so much or that sparrows or toads or salamanders all look so different. They inhabit all these different niches on the planet. And literally, if you tried to find pictures of them online, you can't. They're just not there. But we also have launched a video arc now on YouTube, and that's um, that's been very interesting too. So for some of the for some of the animals, we do video clips, and this is often the only footage that's out there of these animals moving in life. So we feel it all has value, and hopefully the public will care and listen and want to kind of change our ways in terms of our consumer spending and and um, want to help save the earth while there's still time. Well, this is uh, an amazing uh, process, Joel, and I, I always learn about at, at least a few animals every time we talk that I had no idea existed. Um, I, I wasn't, I'm not overly surprised that there's a white rhino, but I never would have believed that there was a two-headed right. turtle. Right, <laughs> right, the two-headed turtle. Right. That that one was just kind of a mistake of nature. But but okay. certainly, I mean, did you know there's such a thing as a as a bird poop frog? You ever heard of a bird poop frog? No, I haven't. 
literally it's a it's a black frog with a little white flash of coloration on it so that it as it's on the forest floor if a threat comes by it just stays still and in dark leaf litter on a dark forest floor it literally looks like bird poop from above so <laughs> they really are camouflaged ingeniously so it's it's um yeah, nature's amazing, and, and we try to celebrate all of it that we can. And, and again, the, the name of the game is public education. We're kind of a long-term ad campaign, a decades-long ad campaign on behalf of nature and why it's important to save it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping people that are listening will realize that we can do stuff right at home. You can, you can plant a pollinator garden in your own backyard. We, we did that here at home. We brought in a lot of butterflies and native bees. We did the same thing over at our office. We planted... Uh, native prairie and lots of pollinating plants and it was amazing and I bet you I photographed a hundred different species of bees and butterflies on these on these different plants that we planted um, plant and vegetable garden is a good idea too because it actually shows your kids how how fruits and vegetables are grown you know uh, it's it's most people just think of food is coming from the grocery store they'd be amazed that they they don't need a grocery store for a lot of common vegetables in the summertime yeah that's where i do my hunting <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i mean you'll be lousy with tomatoes and potatoes and and carrots and and uh, cucumbers especially but it's it's uh it's kind of important that people realize that we really we really do need nature it doesn't need us and nature will come roaring back we just have to give it a little break so so we, I would encourage people to think about not pouring chemicals of any kind on their lawn. That all goes into the groundwater eventually, pesticides, herbicides. That's really hard, hard on people to drink it. Uh, chemicals in the soil move and they get into watersheds. I would encourage people to insulate their homes well. That's money in the bank every month going out your roof or stopped from going out your roof as you heat and cool your home. Eating less meat, good for nature, cheaper way to live, more healthy. There's, there's a lot of different things people can do that, that will put money in their wallet or their purse and also help save the planet. It's, 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 and it's fun, you know. I really enjoyed seeing all these different bees and butterflies coming into our pollinator gardens. It was awesome. Do you have a targeted wish list, or will that be uh, sort of determined by, by what's available? Yeah, that's right, the latter. It's, it's whatever I, I can find as I travel around. Uh, we're going to a, wildlife, a couple of wildlife rehab centers next week. We'll just see what they have in their care at the time. It's just really hard to predict um, what's, what's going to be where. So we, we take it as we can get it. Now, zoos are easier to predict, predict because they have inventories of animals that they've had for a long time. So we can, we can check out zoos as well. But uh, yeah, it's just kind of I make a driving route because of the pandemic. I'm not flying overseas. Uh, right. I kind of make a driving route and um, and just and just go on down the road and we see what we can get. So it's a little bit random, but it's also thought out at least in terms of what part of the countries I'm going to and for what native species I'm hoping to get. Well, Joel, it's uh, we're almost out of time, but it's good to know that the work continues. And as you know, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we've been talking about. Um, obviously, uh, the book's a great place to start, and there's uh, 
information besides the animals uh, in the book, and people can go to uh, National Geographic's uh, various websites. But, Joel, do you have a website where people can keep track of uh, you and your work, I, past, present, and I future? Do, you bet. You bet. Absolutely. They could go to joelsartori.com, J-O-E-L-S-A-R-T-O-R-E. Uh, I own the rights to the work, so people can buy uh, archival signed prints of anything they like, anything they see. And we also sell signed copies of uh, the various photo arc books, but just joelsartori.com. If they forget that, they can just type in photo arc on Google, and up it comes in lots of different ways. So, yeah, we, we, we appreciate it. And and uh, I, I'd just like to kind of leave folks with this. I mean, everybody sure. talks about voting uh, these days. You know, you vote every time you spend your money. Every time you go to your retailer your, your, and buy something, you're saying, I approve of this. Do it again and again and again. Well, if it's something that's, that's tough on the environment, like furniture made from old-growth forest hardwood, you know, hardwood forests in Asia, that's that's pretty rough. That's hard on orangutans. That's hard on hornbills that live in the in the forest. If you're but if you're going someplace to buy, let's say, sustainably produced food or sustainably produced wood, uh, if you're buying a smaller car and driving it less, these are all things that are very beneficial. I mean, you don't have to worry about saving the whole world, but you can you can just try to save things in your own in your own home, your old your own household, buying less, reducing, reusing, recycling, and um, and knowing that you did what you could right in your own neighborhood. You know that's enough, and it's probably. Uh, and it's probably, uh, you know, about all we can do, each of us, is to control, you know, our own domain and just to know that we did the best we could. And that's okay. I mean, I, I just think we need to be more thoughtful going forward or we're really going to have a, a much harsher world to live in in every way. Well, Joel, thank you for spending this time with me, and best of luck as you continue this work. Thank you. I really appreciate being on your show. Take care. That was Joel Sartori. He uh, is uh, a photographer, speaker, author, teacher, and a 25-year contributor to National Geographic magazine, as well as uh, Autobahn, Geo, Time Life, Newsweek, and Sports Illustrated. He has written several books, including National Geographic's Rare, uh, National Geographic's Rare Portraits of America's Endangered Species. Uh, photographing your family and let's be reasonable a collection of essays from the cbs sunday morning show sartori and his work have been the subjects of several national broadcasts including the national geographic channels explorer the nbc nightly news npr's weekend edition and an hour-long pbs documentary at close range again his website is joel sartori that's s-a-r-t-o-r-e joel sartori.com and uh, the the book the collection uh, is uh, the photo arc there are several editions out as they collect more animals 11,000 so far just amazing and there's a uh, kid uh, kids version from National Geographic Kids called photo arc celebrating our wild wor- uh, world in poetry and pictures with uh, words by Newberry Medal winner Kwame Alexander. Anyway, uh, that um, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program.
Gershon Radio For a new generation Tom Sumner Program.com Tom Summer Program.com The Tom Summer Program.com I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place. With magical charms Indoors, indoors, indoors Take it away! Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. If you are sick with COVID-19 or think you might have it, take steps to help protect other people from getting sick. Stay home except to get medical care. Call the doctor before visiting. Separate yourself from others who live with you. Wear a mask to protect others. Cover your coughs and sneezes with a tissue and clean your hands right away. Avoid sharing items with other people in your home. This includes things like towels and bedding. Be sure dishes are washed in hot water or the dishwasher before anyone else uses them. Stay aware of how you feel. If you start to have difficulty breathing or if you are worried about your health, Call your doctor. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom. Most of the music you hear on the Tom Sumner program is provided by local artists. Tune in Fridays for live music and conversation with some of the area's most talented singers, songwriters, and performers. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. The Tom Sumner Program, celebrating the rich talent pool from Flint, Genesee County, and throughout Michigan. children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. 
home to Michigan's largest county park system, and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make, throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Tom Sumner Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Everybody knows he built an ark. He said, what did Noah do? He said, well, he built an ark. But very few people know about the conversation that went on between the Lord and Noah. You see, Noah was in his rec room sawing away. He was making a few things for the home there. He's a good carpenter. Vuba, 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 vuba. Noah. Somebody call? Vuba, vuba, vuba. Noah. Who is that? It's the Lord, Noah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where are you? <laughs> what do you want? I've been good. I want you to build an ark. Right. What's an ark? Get some wood, build it 300 cubits by 80 cubits by 40 cubits. Right. What's a cubit? Let's see, a cubit. I used to know what a cubit was. Uh, well, don't worry about that, Noah. When you get that done, go out into the world, collect all of the animals in the world by twos, male and female, and put them into the ark. Right. Who is this really? <laughs> What's going on? How come you want me to do all these weird things? I'm going to destroy the world. Right. 
candid camera. How you gonna do it? Wanna make it rain for a thousand days and drown them right out? Right. Listen, do this, you'll save water. Let it rain for 40 days and 40 nights and wait for the sewers to back up. Right. effect of an arc on the average neighbor. Now, here's a guy going to work 7 o'clock in the morning, Noah's next door neighbor, and he sees the arc. mosquitoes, male or female. And uh, he had to keep telling the rabbits, only two, only two, only two. So we find Noah pulling up the last two animals, two hippos, and he's really in a hurry to get them up because he's afraid that the Lord's going to call him and ask him to do something else, and his nerves are shot. This is one heck of a job for a man 600 years old. So we find him pulling up the last two hippos, and of course the Lord does call him there. Come on, fat hippos, hurry up. Come on, will you please? Noah. What? <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> Gotta take one of those hippos out and bring in another one. What for? Because you got two males down there and you need to bring in a female. I'm not bringing nothing in. You change one of them. <laughs> Come on, you know I don't work like that. I'm sick and tired of this. I've had enough of this stuff. I've been working all day, working all for days and days. I'm sick and tired of this stuff. Noah? Yeah? How long can you tread water? <laughs> yeah, well, I got news for you. I'm sick and tired of this whole mess. If I the whole neighborhood's out there laughing at me, you're all having a grand time at good old Noah there. I went out and got my best friend, Larry. I said, Larry, listen, I've been talking with the Lord. Larry said, oh, really? I said, yeah, yeah, listen. Lord Larry, Larry Lord, you walked off there laughing, I hear him all up there laughing at me. You know I'm the only guy in this neighborhood with an ark? People around there laughing, picket signs, walking up and down. I'm sick and tired of this stuff here. People are walking around there, how you doing, Tarzan? How's everything up there? 
sick and tired of this mess here. You're supposed to know all and see all. You let me go out there and bring in a pregnant elephant. You give me no manual for delivery and nothing. Never told me the thing was pregnant. There's good old Noah waiting underneath the elephant there. Boom, right on top of it. Okay, Lord, me and you, right? Because I knew all the time everything was This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.